0: hello fellow movie lovers and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we examine Hollywood's redheaded stepchildren. As a red-headed stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson.
1: and I'm Andy Bowell and today we are pulling back Hollywood's script to review John Carpenter's 1988 sci-fi thriller They Live. <laughs>
0: Um, Hey, Andy, do you think John Carpenter has, like, opinions about things?
1: I think John Carpenter has strong opinions about uh, Reaganomics and yuppie consumerism. And you know what? Good on the man. I always knew I liked him. I could just never put my finger on why.
0: (laughs) So... I want to say every John Carpenter movie I've seen has a commentary of some kind. So, like, the thing I feel like is a commentary on, like, the Red Scare and purporting, like, everyone and, you know, suspecting your neighbors of everything. And this movie is heavily talking about classism, consumerism, racism. It hits different in 2021 for sure yeah
1: the biggest takeaway with this movie is like it presents this awful dystopia and in just about every way that is awful except for the aliens every problem every real thing carpenter is critiquing in this film is actually worse 40 years later so that's cool cool and great and good
0: Cool, cool, cool. Great, great, great. Good, good, good. Um, But we're getting ahead of ourselves. So, in case you skipped the movie, They Live is the story of John Nada, a blue-collar drifter that moves into a California shantytown and stumbles upon a conspiracy of ghoulish aliens that control and influence human thoughts, specifically towards consumerism. With his special truth-seeking glasses and Keith David, uh, Nada rampages through the city chewing bubblegum and kicking ass
1: <laughs> which like so i watched this with mariah she doesn't always um, sit in the in the screening room with me and watch whatever the cult fiction movie is but she you know she she hung out and and half paid attention and it got to You know, the part where Nada says, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum. And Mm -hmm. she looked up and was like, oh, I didn't know that's where this was from.
0: (laughs) Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm giving it away early, but that is that is the quote from the movie. I know we normally do that towards the end of the episode, but that's that's the quote. And I have heard about that for so long. The way that uh, Roddy Piper delivers it is completely different than I had ever pictured it in my head.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, no, it's just so, like, deadpan and matter-of-fact. But because it's deadpan and matter-of-fact, it's comedically badass. Like, yeah, I think it's okay for it to be one of the first things we talk about because that line that line is so deeply prevalent and tied in and memorable and like like that might be the most iconic thing from a film in 1988 forget just specifically <laughs> this movie forget anything John Carpenter does i have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass and i'm all out of bubblegum is one of the greatest action movie quotes of all time to the point where it is just <laughs> synonymous that to this day
0: which is so funny because i have come here too is the pacing of how roddy piper says it is so much slower and calmer mm. than i was picturing i was picturing i'm here to kick ass and chew bubblegum and i'm all out of bubble gum like i was picturing a much faster pace and he's like very calm as he cocks his shotgun and says, I have come here to kill people and whatever, whatever, whatever. And it's just,
1: yeah, <laughs> it's you very different. You expect it to be a quip, <laughs> but like, it's interesting. Cause I, I'm not a huge wrestling fan, but even I know like in his real life wrestling career, Roddy Piper was really well known for being a jokey, quippy, like crazy, rambunctious asshole. And for him to not make it a quip, but for him just to make it a a statement of fact makes it so much cooler than it could have been otherwise.
0: So it's interesting you say that because for the first half of the movie, Roddy Piper's character of Nada is very chill. Yeah. He doesn't, he doesn't speak a whole lot. And then at, suddenly at minute, I don't know, 40... Suddenly, he's this one line guy who has all these funny comebacks, and I'm like, "Where did this come from? Because you spent the first half of this movie being completely silent
1: so I actually have an so... idea about that, which I kind of okay i i this isn't my notes, but like there's a interpretation where John Nada just has a complete and utter nervous breakdown. And sure. like there's the bit in the grocery store where he starts laughing and calling out the aliens and just, you know, really seems like he's just completely lost it all of a sudden. And yeah. then he starts to go on the rampage.
0: So your logic being that he completely loses his mind and is just like, <laughs> "Welp, society has failed me. So I'm going to be a psycho.
1: Maybe not lose his mind, but certainly, yeah, do this like... Oh, the the scales and disillusionment, the scales and the disillusionment have fallen from my eyes. I can see the truth now. Nothing matters. You, you might as well laugh about it because this is scary and insane and absurd. Just the sheer scope of what my brain can't even process anymore. So I'm going to laugh like a maniac and then I'm going to just go nuts. And sure this so you know we talked about how like this movie hits different in 2020 or 2021 really mm-hmm. the other reason this movie hits differently and i don't know if this is a doesn't age well or not this kind of reads like a regular dude is radicalized and then uh... commits what is terrorist actions he's our hero because only known to the audience there are these you know controlling alien antagonist forces that are doing stuff but if you look at what piper does or if you look at what john nada does especially if you look at it through the context of somebody else who is normal and lives in that town like yeah, the guy goes on a insane shooting spree, and then, uh, you know, it culminates in a, a suicide mission that blows up the roof of a building.
0: And but Andy, that hits different. It does hit different, but remember, he's white, so it's not a terrorist. He's a patriot.
1: <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I don't think oh. I've had to apologize for <laughs> being a white man on this show before, but now I feel the need to.
0: <laughs> no, no. I mean, the the context of it, I get what you're trying to say. I'm just like in 2021, like white men don't have to apologize for shit. They're upholding the government. They're storming the Capitol. It's fine.
1: They're stronger than ever. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, boy. No, speaking of, I I guarantee you so many people who stormed the Capitol watched this movie and just uh, took the complete wrong message.
0: I see your point. I think in similar ways as movies we've talked about before, there are people who will watch a movie and get the complete wrong impression from the point behind it. John Carpenter isn't great to women. I will certainly say that. um, Especially not in this movie. Especially not in this movie. There's all of maybe one. One who's named. um, And her, her whole motivation is not crystal clear at all. What did you think of Holly?
1: So Holly is evil. Like... Like that's the worst thing you can say. There's one named woman in this movie, and she is the traitorous um secondary antagonist. Like mm-hmm. Holly was in on the Holly was in on it the entire time, which was why she was mm-hmm. so like eerily calm when uh Nada put her at gunpoint and had her drive home and the uh... bit, the bit where she like goes to the resistance cell she is 100% like the plant who tipped off the uh the police where the resistance cell was meeting and like you know confirmed somehow that that was where they actually needed to be um no holly was never anything other than evil and just letting john go along mm if John Nada isn't the fastest gun in the West at the end and gets the drop on her and shoots her like she absolutely puts one in his head on that rooftop and um, foils the plot and the aliens just completely keep, you know, supplanting the masses.
0: Yup. For sure. I think that's so interesting that she's, her motivation throughout the movie is questionable. I think this is your second time seeing it. Yes. So for me, I was like, is she bad? Is she evil? But you and Alex have both seen it before. And you were both like, oh, no, she's she's not good. And I was like, that was very unclear to me. <laughs> but
1: Well, I will say, like, I watched this in college. So it's been a minute. Um, mm-hmm. I forgot most of the back half of this movie which kind of speaks to its overall quality to be perfectly honest um Uh i'd forgotten much of the back half so i completely forgot holly's betrayal which you know the one thing i will say is it it's telegraphed in hindsight but when you're watching it it comes out of nowhere where all of a sudden she just blows keith david away and then reveals herself
0: yeah I definitely think that... Frank! You and Holly Claire? I'm Claire. Are you? This movie is worth a rewatch, so I can absolutely understand, like, why people qualify it as cult, because there's so much to be said that gets lost in translation of a first watch.
1: Yeah, I can understand that. And, I mean, it goes into... Like, there's so much race politics and specifically class politics um in the first you know third of the movie um you know i was sitting here being like man you really don't see shanty towns anymore um oh friend and then i
0: oh, <laughs> i,
1: I remembered slash realized yeah just not uh in orlando where i am because you know i'm not in portland six months ago for just to name one Yeah.
0: Um. well and there's you know so keith david's character um has a commentary on how the upper class is supported by the work of the lower classes but then when the upper classes fail um the lower class is there to support them but when the lower classes fail the wealthy don't don't jump to support back and return the favor And all I could think of was the failure of the big banks and how they got bought out and they got saved and it was fine. Um, But we still had a massive economic crash.
1: Right. And Keith David has a line in the movie about bank bailouts, which was Mm -hmm. a different recession than the one you and I like remember.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and also Keith David has this great line, like, his character is just, I feel like, the economic commentary, which unfortunately falls on the head of a black man, and it's not great that that's the optic, but okay, sure, we'll take it. Um, Where he talks about walking a white line all the time, and he's telling this to Nada, as Frank and Nada says, Oh yeah, the white line is in the middle of the road though, and that's the most dangerous place to walk. And I was like, Frank, did you mean that as the middle of the road white line? Or did you mean that racially?
1: Right. And you're right. I think honestly, Frank is probably the best character in the film. And maybe maybe in a remake, or maybe if this movie is made a lot later we don't need John Nada as the man with no name to come in and be the protagonist. Maybe we can just get away with having Frank himself be the guy, but as it is, and you know, with the movie presented as it is, it's so telling in a slightly problematic way that like the character who wants to just toe the line and not cause any trouble is an african-american guy who has a family he's trying to support to the point where he would rather beat the living shit out of a guy who is trying to get him to do something other than toe the line Mm
0: -hmm.
1: meanwhile we have our blue jeans pulled up flannel shirt tucked in
0: Mullet having Mullet
1: having white dude and he's still like the hippie anarchist in this movie's sensibility, which is crazy.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, there's there's that like weird juxtaposition of the character that tells the truth and the character who's our hero are not the same character.
1: Right. But, you know, I will say in Carpenter's defense, um, I was reading about this. He wrote the character of Frank specifically for Keith David. He remembered how much (sighs) he enjoyed Keith David's performance in The Thing and was like, I got to get him in another movie. He's phenomenal. And specifically, like this is the quote, Carpenter wanted something that was more than just a sidekick so
0: i love that
1: yeah you know there's a lot to be said and and i don't want to unfairly um call something out without also calling out like it was very intentional that frank was a fully fleshed out character who wasn't just you know the the lackey which would have been even worse if, if he had been um and yeah keith david's amazing how can you not love keith david
0: Oh yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure, I have a James Spader level crush on Keith <laughs> David. Like his, his voice alone, Andrew. His voice alone. Well, yeah, can get it.
1: I I absolutely agree. He he doesn't touch Spader for me, but that's just more like, I I want him to be my dad. <laughs>
0: I mean, he could be your daddy.
1: He can be my dad and he can be your daddy. That way we, we both get him.
0: Um. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so shall we talk about the consumerism of this movie? <laughs>
1: yeah, let's go ahead.
0: So um, about, I want to say 30 minutes into the movie is the part where we get to the point where um, John Nada puts on a pair of sunglasses that he has seen being manufactured and doesn't really understand what's going on, doesn't really understand the whole thing about it. Um, and once he puts on these sunglasses, he looks out at the world and realizes that everything has a secret message. Yep. And I am a human being who works in marketing.
1: <laughs> so yeah, specifically I, I I've got something I want to talk about, but before that, how did this aspect of the movie hit you?
0: It's so spooky, man, because regularly I will write things where I'll write an email brief. Um, I'm in email marketing for our listeners who don't know what I do for a day job and, um, And one of the things that I do with every email brief is say like, oh, our KPI, which is your, you know, your key performance indicator for those of you who aren't marketing. And it's basically what do you want your audience to do? What do you want the people who open your emails to receive from this? Mm -hmm. What's the message you want them to get? And I don't think I've ever written one that says marry and reproduce, but I used to work <laughs> for a hospitality company. And one of the one of the email briefs I wrote earlier in my career was literally charm and joy. And so when I looked at all of these different signs and they said, submit, be quiet, be dumb, don't pay attention, I was like. i've definitely done this it's orwellian and terrible
1: (laughs) sure yeah and and i mean you know i work in corporate video production so there's a lot of the same similar themes the the idea of boiling down come to luxurious hawaii and the subtext being marry and reproduce like it's okay, yeah. That's yeah. And, and you don't need a marketing degree in any way, shape, or form for the fact that money says this is your god to hit.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was that was terrifying. Um, his walk by of the magazine section, where each section had a different message. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole that whole section of the movie, down to the fact that everything is black and white.
1: Right. And, and that's what I wanted to talk about. Cause that is like, that's just meta mm, yum, 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 yum. So brilliant that the whole point of the glasses, let's make them black and white so that we have a clear visual definer for what is real and what is not, but let's also make it black and white because we're going to boil down the conflict into black and white exactly because there there is no room in this movie for nuance or the argument that the aliens are anything other than evil mind controllers and and you know the aliens as they're presented like it it would be hard to make that argument when there's you know things broadcasting sleep and consume and all this stuff, but the fact that the movie doesn't even try to make it, yeah, it's very. You, you're okay. This one, real fucking ugly. Oh, you see, I take these glasses off. She looks like a regular person, doesn't she? Huh? Put them back on. Formaldehyde face. That's what That's we got. Enough of- interesting.
0: So, Andy, I have a question for you. Okay. This is the. Fourth, fifth movie that we've seen that utilizes black and white.
1: Yeah, yeah. So
0: is is black and white cult?
1: I think black and white is cult only in certain contexts. Black and white is cult when it's used by Kevin Smith or Jim Jarmusch in Down by Law because, like, they had the choice... For Kevin Smith, it was kind of a finance thing, but you know the the black and white element is artistic. In um, or you know what? Even in The Addiction, um, it was it was a stylistic choice to use black and white. There there are at least a couple of movies that I don't think we've seen yet that are from like the '40s and '50s when black and white was the only standard. Um, but. You know, as I'm talking through it and pointing out, you're right, we've seen a bunch of black and white movies, all of them, it was a stylistic choice. So, yes, I think using black and white when you don't have to is kind of cult.
0: Yeah, because I think about, like, I think about the style that black and white emotes, but I also think about the emotion Mm -hmm. that it can kind of dictate and I think, you know, in a lot of movies that we're examining, like, with Down by Law is trying to pull out the idea of, like, crime is black and white, morality is black and white. I'm sure we made that point at the time. And here, it's talking about, like, consumerism is black and white. So there's always this higher ideal of, like, something we are trying to evoke, right?
1: Yeah. And it's just interesting. Yeah, and it's it's anything that is a like cultural barrier. You know, when you're when you're like just some guy trying to make a movie but trying to make a movie that has profit, um like producers will tell you go for the lowest common denominator, make your movie as bland and like kind of one note, kind of easy to watch as possible because more people will be willing to try it if it's not some like crazy thing more people might be willing to watch a thing if they don't look at it and go oh that's black and white do i want to watch a black and Mm. white movie do i want to watch a vampire movie do i want to watch a movie that's like sexy but like overtly sexy (laughs) or do I want to put on this thing that is like okay it's in color it's some action movie the the title is like danger close or something like yeah okay whatever let's throw on danger close and see if it's any good i don't think there's there's probably a movie called danger close but i'm not specific i'm not referencing a specific one
0: the point is it's a pronoun verb they live he dies she something or other yeah
1: yeah absolutely
0: yeah and or the something so it's sexy and it's appealing and then oh look hidden underneath there's all of the social commentary about things that have only gotten worse thanks john carpenter cool 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 cool
1: i mean thanks to everyone who has been in political office since this movie came out and is still in political office um for sure <laughs> I think John Fair. Carpenter just read the writing on the wall Fair You got me thinking about it talking about the black and white the the parts of this movie that are not black and white like the the picture is so much better than i was sitting here expecting and and again it's not like this movie is terribly old but i'm trying to think what's the <laughs> closest what's the closest movie we've seen um since then like okay you, you didn't actually watch it with me but killer clowns from outer space was also made in 1988 and this is a hell mm-hmm. of a lot prettier than killer clowns from outer space You know, Howard the Duck was 1986. This is a hell of a lot prettier than Howard the Duck. Lost Boys was 1987. And there's just something, especially in the first, like, third, there's just something where it's so crisp and vibrant looking that I wasn't entirely sure if the version on Amazon was, like, a remastered edition or what. But, Mm. I mean, you know, I, I have to call out something pretty when I see it. And this was very pretty.
0: I don't have a good segue here. That's fine.
1: <laughs> what did you think of Rowdy Roddy Piper?
0: I did not care for his act. Okay. I felt it was a little lackluster. Um, there was certainly, I think, some of it's to be left to the writing. So um, John Carpenter did not write this. He directed this. His character writing is wonderful for his moment of perceived insanity where he's in the bodega and he's saying like, oh, you have formaldehyde face to this random old woman. Yeah, right. Absolutely. The writing there is great, but some of his back half writing is just kind of like, okay, why would you say that there? Why would you do that there? What is the motivation behind this? Other than Keith David, a lot of the character motivations did not make sense to me. Um,
1: Sure, sure. I mean, you've only got a couple of characters to even latch on to, really. If you're looking at named people, there's only like four named characters in the entire movie.
0: And that's true. So we have Holly and we have John and we have Frank and we have...
1: Uh, The other one is uh gill who was like the the resistance leader boss man dude
0: that's right okay and even he is a background character that pops in and out and then we have random hobo dude can we talk about random hobo dude
1: (laughs) yes we can absolutely talk about random hobo dude
0: (laughs) what the hell well it's (laughs) honestly you know
1: you want to talk about one of those things that was a problem then and is even a bigger problem now so you know we've got the guy and you see him in the first half at the shanty town and he's one of the dudes sitting by a tv and he's one of those guys who's just calling out that like you know the man keeps you down and will do anything and has all these, like, I don't think he he goes conspiracy theory, but he's just this kind of, you know, grumbling down on his luck guy. And then to see him in the end where he has somehow been given the privilege to sell out the human race and know about the aliens and, you know, is given all this wealth and means and money. And is happy to do it because, hey, man, I might as well get mine. We're doomed either way, which is such a common cowardly character trope. But he's still a complete fucking idiot who, like, Mm -hmm. sees two guys he knew and just has to assume that they're also in on it and leads (laughs) inadvertently to the destruction of the entire you know alien facade if nothing else
0: which is so fascinating because i as as a first-time viewer of this movie i kept thinking like oh and this is how he tricks them into the back room where he kills them okay he didn't do it then this is where he tricks them into the back room to kill oh no 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 I was surprised he didn't get wise, and then I just realized, oh no, he's just an idiot.
1: He's just a complete hapless moron, and the wise he gets is he gets wise enough to save his own ass before he can get shot by Frank and John in the final moment, you know? Like, he is a, a selfish, stupid man who probably, in the context of the movie, goes on to have a political office in a red state. But, yeah. you know.
0: <laughs> but, you know, we don't have political leanings on this podcast. Too. Oh No, no,
1: of course not. How you doing, boys? I didn't know you'd been recruited. Welcome aboard. Earth is our stepping stone for our you know, you board. boys really should have dressed for the party. Now you can afford it. The, 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 whole, the whole ending entirely, I think... You mentioned that the, the character writing in the back half isn't very strong. I would go a step farther. I, I like this movie, but the writing in general in the back half, you can tell there's a moment where Carpenter was like, oh, shit. They, oh, they said I only have 20 minutes of movie left. Okay. um, And they find <laughs> the alien thing, and then they shoot it up, and then they find uh Holly, and, and then she betrays them. And then john says fuck it and it's a suicide mission and then we'll get three shots of human beings discovering aliens are real and then cut to black
0: including but not limited to a presumed sex worker um on top of a john then looking down and realizing her john is an alien
1: yep so
0: that's great
1: (laughs) that's not great the fact that it's I'm sure it was played for comedy in the t- in, like in the room. They thought that would be like, "We'll we'll end it on a laugh." Um, that's not good or great. <laughs> I've got nothing to defend that one.
0: But I will say. In that twenty minutes of film, or even in that last five minutes of film, John Carpenter calls himself out. Did you catch that? I
1: did, yeah. The uh the announcer <laughs> who's shit talking famous directors and one of them's John Carpenter.
0: <laughs> it gave me much joy. Yeah.
1: No, I mean it's it, it's gotta be said that I think John Carpenter had if nothing else a a real sense of humor that he being a famous director was at least kind of part of the problem sure yeah um i will say um i want to go back to roddy piper for a second sure so he was almost kurt russell
0: uh as in that kurt russell as in
1: as in kurt russell from the thing and escape from la and escape from new york and Elvis and there's some other John Carpenter movie. I'm forgetting that he's in John Carpenter. I didn't realize this had a very Tim Burton unto Johnny Depp relationship with Kurt Russell. Ah, okay. And almost put him in this and then decided instead that like it, it wouldn't work out. And he, he didn't want to have Kurt Russell again to, to Roddy Piper's benefit he is a lot more ripped than Kurt Russell I think has ever been that opening scene where he's like walking around without a shirt. It's like, yeah, okay. I get it. You're like a friggin' wrestler. <laughs> mm. um, but the other thing that was uh, kind of a fun, interesting little wait, hold on thing uh, in interviews, Roddy Piper likes to say that he started the trend of, a professional wrestler then becoming an actor which you know it, I, uh... I think the most famous example is you know the rock and steve austin's done it and john scene has done it and batiste has done it um uh-huh. a lot of people have done it roddy piper said he was the first one but that's completely ignoring that a year before this came out andre the giant was in the princess bride
0: i was gonna say
1: (laughs) (laughs) and we're gonna have few and far between opportunities to talk about the princess bride on this particular show because it is a bona fide classic nothing cult about it so just credit where it's due there um that was definitely andre the giant who started that (laughs)
0: Yep. I will say there... So when we were going through that gratuitous back alley scene that you commented on... You
1: mean one um, of the greatest fight scenes in all of cinema?
0: Sure. It was a touch violent. There were multiple times I had to watch through my fingers, and I don't often do that for our movies. So, you know, take (laughs) that for what it's worth. But in uh, that scene... One of the things I was like, I was thinking to myself as watching through my fingers was, well, I guess it makes sense. If you hire a professional wrestler, you're going to have like, you're going to take advantage of the great fight scene.
1: Yeah. And it is a great fight scene. And you know, you want to talk about it. Roddy Piper is a professional wrestler. Keith David wasn't. Keith David Super wasn't. And yet they still Ah. agreed to spend three weeks training and choreographing and rehearsing so that they could actually have an honest beat the shit out of each other six minute long back alley brawl where the only thing they fake are the face shots and the crotch shots. Everything else, every time that somebody gets hit in the ribs or thrown into a wall or anything, it's completely real. And like, that is just... It's not, maybe that's not great, but that's awesome.
0: It is because Keith David is bae. Indeed. He is beautiful. He is wonderful.
1: Keith David (laughs) scraped the shit out of the back of his head in the take where they did that. (laughs)
0: <laughs> because I real life texted you and I was like, Andy, he's a black man. He is not supposed to have a section on his skin that is pink. But there is straight up a part where you see the back of Keith David's skull and it is ripped off. And I
1: texted you back and I was like, yeah, that's rug burn. <laughs> like that, that's his skin missing. <laughs> oh, Keith David deserves all the credit and all the things and i i so hope that this isn't the last time we see him i i was so ready to be like returning to cult fiction and then i remembered like we hadn't watched the thing for this show we had only talked about the thing so like <gasps> this is technically but... the first time we're seeing keith david in the cult fiction canon
0: okay <laughs> and i agree and i understand and yes yes what our listeners don't know is that we did two practice episodes before releasing. You're
1: right. You're absolutely right.
0: And Keith David is in one of the movies from our practice episodes way back in the day because he is the cat in Coraline.
1: You know what? Because I really want to, I will absolutely take that. Thank you for pointing that out. Return her to cult fiction, Keith David. <laughs>
0: And even though no one will ever see that episode because, good God, you guys, it's bad compared to our current standards of what a good podcast is. We were learning. Um, we were a we small babe. We were we, and yet to understand the things that made a good podcast. Speaking of things that make a good podcast, Andy. Yes. I have a really good reading rec for this episode.
1: Okay, go for it.
0: So... The movie is based on a short story. And for 2 seconds I considered, you know, saying, "Oh, you know, your reading recommendation is the story that this is yeah, based eight on." Yeah, 8
1: in the morning no, 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 no. by Ray something. I mean, it's it, it's a back of a magazine pulp story. So, so what what is your better reading recommendation?
0: Capitalist Realism by Mark Fisher. Oh god. <laughs> <laughs> So, no, I will say it's actually quite an enjoyable read. Mark Fisher wrote an examination of hopelessness in the face of consumerism through pop culture. Oh, uh, okay. Which is rambling, rambling to say that this man, like, writes essays about the consumerism of Wally, the consumerism of children of men, and talks about politics and education and basically, like, why these things don't do what we want them to do and how they fail us as a society
1: excellent yeah no i think god it it can't be stated enough what a necessary evil that is for people to learn about and what a prevalent problem (laughs) that is so so yes go ahead like send that to me because i'm gonna read that tomorrow
0: (laughs) (laughs) i will put it in our show notes how about that sounds good (laughs) speaking of things i put in our show notes can we talk about our oscars
1: we so super can yeah
0: do you want to go first or shall i i'll
1: go first i'll go ahead um you know we we talked a lot about uh, uplifting things about john carpenter and i think we made it no secret that he is in our opinion a a just not even just a good director because he's an amazing director but like kind of a good person sure nothing encapsulates that better than my oscar for they live which is best good guy director because john carpenter fed sheltered and paid actual homeless people to be the extras in his shantytown and that is such an unnecessary thing to do it's so easy to cattle call a bunch of like up-and-coming undiscovered actors and tell them to put on these ripped clothes and okay act like you're act like you live in a shanty town and it's so much more to go to an actual shanty town or you know pull some homeless centers and be like okay listen guys for the first like for the week for the two weeks we're filming this you're all going to get paid, you're all going to get three meals a day, and you're all going to like get an actual good place to be. So I want to help get you on your feet. And I just I think that's mm-hmm. amazing. I think that's wonderful. Lovely. Yeah.
0: You know what else is amazing and wonderful? Your
1: Oscar, cuz you haven't said it yet. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Keith David is amazing and wonderful.
1: He really is.
0: <laughs> he's so dreamy but um apart from his dreaminess he also gets my oscar because he is truly and i know we don't often do regular we don't often do regular regular oscar categories right on this show we normally make ours up but i really want to give keith david her oscar for best supporting
1: And I think there's an argument and I'm here for it.
0: He just carries the back half of this movie so well. And if anything saves it, it's him.
1: Yeah. I mean the scene where like he's back at the construction site and, and John like pops out from behind a barrel, just watching that and watching Keith David's performance is like, dude, get the hell away from me. I do not want to be anywhere near you. I don't want anything to do with what is going on just like the the it's not quite fear it's not quite anger it's something in between it's it's somebody knowing that like dude i have too much at stake in my life to be anywhere near you and the heat you have right now and it's so real and so like visceral and that's just one scene
0: yeah absolutely
1: i wish we had gotten maybe a better death scene Mm-hmm. But maybe that's part of why it hurts more that, like, Keith David is just all of a sudden gun to his temple Dead. and you hear the shot.
0: Mm-hmm. Like, nothing. Yep. But you know who we will always think of more than just nothing
1: then then just nothing maybe maybe more than Keith David
0: maybe more than Keith David I won't say that I have a crush on him but gosh he is an amazing man let's give it up for Kevin Bacon
1: <laughs> <laughs> <indeed>. you're welcome <laughs> I, I wanted to I wanted you to get all the way there so thank you I will go ahead and admit that I wouldn't have known this, but...
0: <laughs> but...
1: We can do it in one.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and since um, I wouldn't have known it, you, you go ahead, because I absolutely saw your notes and then like was able to figure it out from that.
0: Keith David was in Novocaine with kevin bacon
1: which is the second time we've used novocaine as a bacon and the first time i remember we read the synopsis and was like oh steve martin helen carter this sounds weird as hell let's throw it on the list i never would have known keith david was in the movie but now i'm looking forward to seeing Kane, if for nothing else than another fix of that beautiful man's voice
0: Just, uh, his voice pour it over me. It's like syrup.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I will say, I don't, I don't know how you could do this without Keith David. I'm, I'm sure you can. You've got enough, like, like I'm pretty sure Roddy Piper was in a few movies. I'm sure Meg Foster had a career outside this movie, but like, let's just keep it simple. This really has been the Keith David hour and I'm perfectly okay with it.
0: But maybe let's see if our next movie has Keith David in it. How about?
1: Let's do that real quick. I know you said it at the top of the show. The The quote for this movie has to be chew bubblegum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubblegum. Yes. Since you brought it up, I did have one other quote that I I love. Like there were two parts in the movie where I like nudged Mariah and was like, watch this part. And one of them was <laughs> chew bubblegum and kick ass the other one was okay. my quote, which is when John Nada is trying to get Frank to wear the glasses, and Frank keeps refusing, and it's before they actually start having the fight. But John says, One of the greatest threats in all of action you better put on those sunglasses or start eating that trash can. I love it. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs>
0: I love that you love it. That's great.
1: Yeah. So with that said, let's go ahead and see um what the cult has for us. Maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe we'll both get lucky and it'll be another Keith David movie. Mm, maybe. In the Hollywood crypt we have two hundred and ninety-eight films left.
0: Oh damn.
1: Oh damn, but you know, we're we're getting there. We're we're breaking it down. Uh-huh. And let's see here. Pull up the random number generator. And we have number 56. Number 56 is a 2005 fantasy adventure film that I have heard about and I have never seen. It is Dave McKean's Mirror Mask. (gasps) which I know you have seen.
0: (laughs) It's like one of my top 20 movies of all time. Perfect. Okay. I love it. And I'm so excited for our Neil Gaiman fans. This is, this is very Neil Gaiman-y. So strap in. I
1: remember seeing a trailer for this and getting like, Incredible labyrinth vibes.
0: Very accurate. Very, very accurate. Perfect. Um, Okay. Mirror Mask is the story of a teenage girl whose parents work for a circus that is in the process of going bankrupt. And her own kind of interior struggle for her life her soul her meaning in life as her mother goes through a pretty major surgery
1: okay i'm fascinated
0: you are really gonna like this film and i can't wait yeah i'm very excited
1: okay yeah i'm I'm very excited i'm getting getting very pumped did you just say you're getting
0: teary-eyed no, I said I'm getting very excited. I'm smiling from ear to ear right now.
1: Yay!
0: <laughs> but I guess I could be getting teary, but that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. If you want to keep up, you can follow us on Twitter at Cult CultFictionCast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now.
1: But join us next time as we dive into a very fantastical and from what I remember CGI heavy world as we watch 2005's Mirror Mask. For Stephanie Johnson, I've been Andy Bowell.